Let's read again. We do this every week, but I think this is helpful. Let's read again the Beatitudes in their entirety. We'll read verses 1 to 12, and uh, then we'll begin our time of study this morning. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then if you flip over to chapter 7, I thought we'd just have a little glimpse. We're going to come back to chapter 7 a couple times today, but just a little glimpse of the end of the story, just so that you can know that there is an end, and we will get there someday. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Talk about a familiar section. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And, the, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. This is the great sermon on the mount. It is a logical and cohesive whole, and I think more than ever this morning, we must understand that the Beatitudes in particular are connected one to the other. This is a part of a bigger picture. The Beatitudes as a grouping are connected to the remainder of the paragraphs that we'll find in the Sermon on the Mount, but within the Beatitudes, you cannot isolate one Beatitude from the rest and come out with an accurate understanding or a full understanding of what God intended for us to see here and what the king sitting on the mountain intended for the citizens of his kingdom to understand about themselves. So the poor in spirit are the only ones who will truly mourn for their sin. They will be the ones who are meek as an attitude towards God and men. They are the ones who will hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be the ones who are merciful. They will be pure in heart. They will be peacemakers, and they will be persecuted. And all of those components are the characteristics of the kingdom citizen. And we have 
repeated over and over again, and I hope it's helping you remember that the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is concerned first and foremost with who you are before it deals with what you do. This is about being, and doing will follow on the heels of being. The Beatitudes establish and are grounded in your heart. They are about attitudes, about non-visible attributes of the kingdom citizen. And so as we come to these declarations of truth, understand that we are dealing not with superficial and externals, but rather with heart issues, internal. I think one of the most profound responses that these Beatitudes have generated in my heart, and I trust they have in yours as well, is a self-examination. It's hard not to. When Christ holds up the characteristics and the heart and the attitudes and the, the perception and the perspective of the kingdom citizens, it's hard not to say, who am I in comparison to this description? What is my life? What does it mirror in accordance with these beatitudes, with these characteristics of the kingdom? And the paradox of Scripture, or the seeming contradiction of Scripture, is that the Christian is distinctly to be aware that he is one thing. He is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And yet he is to be pursuing renewal every day of his life. And so as you examine yourself, these characteristics are the reality of who you are, and yet they have generated in me, and I trust in you who are kingdom citizens, a desire to see more poverty in spirit, more mourning for sin or better mourning for sin, more meekness as the attitude of life, more hunger and desperation for ethical righteousness. And then today we'll reach this self-examination. Blessed are the merciful. And I trust that it will push us further, prod us further in our desire to be more what we already are. To better display what has been accomplished in the past at the point of our conversion. This is a description of the newness of your inner man. And yet your flesh is warring against you. The principle of sin is warring against you. The world around you is warring against these realities being expressed and being lived out in your existence. The world is chasing after joy. The world is chasing after happiness. And yet we have been reminded over and over again with every word, blessed, that only the kingdom citizens know internal and eternal happiness and joy so i ask you at the very outset here and i think it's important for us to ask are you offended by the internal look by the introspection is it uncomfortable do you wish we would just get on to more practical issues about social and relevant things in our lives if so it could be a telltale sign that you do not want to examine the kingdom citizenship that you claim to possess. But if you find yourself painfully aware of your shortcoming and yet inexplicably wanting more, it hurts so good 
I want to just keep coming back for more from the Messiah King. And that ought to be a great confidence to you that in fact the poverty and spirit that must be the reality of the kingdom citizen has been brought about in you because only the one who has known his spiritual bankruptcy would ever desire to take a good hard look from the Messiah's eyes at his own heart. Right? So we come today to this last or this fifth beatitude, not the last, but the fifth beatitude, this merciful kingdom citizen. I would remind you of what we just read in Matthew 7, that as we examine ourselves again this morning with this beatitude, that there will be many, there will be many on the last day who stand before the Lord and call him master, who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That should be weighing on you as we examine this passage. Now, to divide this up, and it really, I was telling David, it's been simple in one sense to examine one beatitude a week. In another sense, it's very difficult because I don't want to move outside of the bounds of what we have. I want to articulate and clarify what we see here and what may be misinterpreted on the surface. So we're going to do that in three ways. We're going to split this up into three different categories this morning. First of all, we're going to look at the myths surrounding this kingdom mercy or kingdom compassion which is a clue into the definition of this mercy. The myths surrounding the kingdom compassion. Then we're going to look at the reality regarding this kingdom compassion. And then finally, the promise. And you're probably getting used to me using different words for the exact same outline every single week. We're going to look at what many think this means wrongly, how we should view it rightly, and then the promise that is ours if this is in fact the characteristic of our lives. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So first of all, let's think about together the myths that surround this kingdom compassion. What are some of the misconceptions of what it is to be merciful or this beatitude isolated from its context? What are the misconceptions that flow from it? Let me just rattle these off for you and then we'll discuss one or two of them in more detail. First of all, this kingdom compassion, this merciful heart, is not a personality trait. Okay? It's not a personality trait. You were not born merciful. Beatitude, kingdom, merciful. I could, with great boldness, tell you, I was not born merciful. I've had many reminders this week that in my flesh, I am not merciful. Compassion is not a natural personality trait, but it is not a personality trait that is described here at all. Other word, in other words, someone is not born with this being a more natural bent for them than for someone else. This is a radical transformation result of becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Don't shortchange it. There is a mercy that is simply a human mercy, a goodwill towards others. Don't cut this beatitude short. It's not just a human personality trait. It is not simply an external list of activities. The Roman church has set up 
13 definitions of what it is to be merciful. They have a list of 13 things that must be lived out if one is to claim to be merciful. Don't shortchange this beatitude with a list. It's not about a list. It's not about externals. In fact, I love it that it is not blessed are those who show mercy. It is blessed are the merciful. That is, it is a characteristic of their lives. Blessed are these kinds of people, merciful people. It's not a list. It can't be boiled down to a checklist that you could say, I'm merciful because I've done my six things of mercy, my acts of mercy. Most prevalent and most important for us this morning, this beatitude does not make salvation conditional upon some work on your behalf. Okay? This is not mercy. Kingdom mercy is not a condition for salvation. It's difficult because we read this passage and it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And that is exactly what it means. And yet, mercy in your life is not a condition. It is not something you can generate. It is not something you can put on so that you can secure God's mercy in the future day of judgment. If this was a conditional clause for salvation, if mercy on your part was needed for God to show you mercy, in other words, he's waiting. Uh, This person seems to be on the right track, but I'm not seeing a lot of mercy. So, so far, you're not going to get any mercy when the day of judgment comes. If that was the case, first of all, let's understand from the whole of our New Testaments, none of us would receive mercy. There isn't enough in you, there is nothing good within you that could generate mercy that would catch the eye of a holy God. You could never achieve this mercy. Secondly, you would have to wipe out from the remainder of your New Testament the doctrine of grace. In fact, you would have to wipe Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 out of your scriptures if mercy is the conditional clause, it is the activity that grants the merit needed to achieve the grace of God or the favor of God. Ephesians 2, what a phenomenal section. It says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. This is the description of your life. You were dead. You were not merciful. You were not prone to mercy. You were not born with a certain disposition to mercy. You were dead, and you were not just dead. You were dead in sin. Wicked to the core in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, that is, children of God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. All right? That's the description of who you were at birth. When you entered the world, this was the outlook. There was no goodwill within you. There was no spark of grace. Just this dead, sinful heart. Verse 4, the greatest two words in our New Testament, really from a theological standpoint, but God, but God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Understand that all of those verbs were completed by God. Your salvation was by grace. God did not give some grace and then look for some mercy on your part that then sealed the deal. Now I'll give them mercy in the day of judgment. All of grace. So that, here's the purpose in verse 7, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of acts of mercy, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created. That is, we did not create ourselves. We were created, he is creator, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? So common myths surrounding this kingdom compassion. It's not a personality trait. It's not an external list of activities. And it is not a condition for salvation. Why? Because you could never be merciful enough to merit God's mercy. You would have to wipe the doctrine of grace from your Bible and you would have to isolate this beatitude from the remainder of the beatitudes both before and after. Now remember, the beatitudes work in sequence. Jesus was not haphazardly coming up with principles for his kingdom. The Spirit rested upon Jesus. Here is the perfect God-man, the Savior of all who would believe. And he is not wasting words in describing the citizens of his kingdom. So, back up. Only the spiritual bankrupt, only the mourners for sin, only the meek and the desperate for righteousness could ever be attributed as merciful people. Those are the prerequisites to this mercy. We've really turned a corner here in this beatitude because we are moving from the heart response before God to the heart response before men to the desperate desire for fruit of that heart response in righteousness in my life. And now we are even moving to the place where it is seen as the fruit of our lives in mercy towards others. Let me give you a parallel for just your own study, and we won't take the time to parallel this this morning. But in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35, it's the parable of the unjust steward. And you remember this parable. There is a servant who is indebted to his master. The master shows him mercy, lets him off for his debts. He goes then, immediately, this evil servant, and he finds the guy who has a debt to him. And he beats the man, throws him in prison because he won't pay up. Comes back to the master, and the master hears what happens, or what had happened, and turns from his mercy and gives judgment on this evil servant because he has not shown forgiveness in the same way that the master did initially with him. And if we go to Matthew chapter 18, you, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. But in Matthew chapter 18, at the end of that account, we have a, a very interesting and parallel statement from, from the Lord. He says in verse 35, 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In other words, forgiveness from God is only granted to those who forgive. Okay? Mercy from God is only granted to those who are merciful. And yet we can be confident from the remainder of our scriptures, and the Bible interprets the Bible, that there is no forgiveness possible outside of the grace of God transforming your heart. And there is no mercy that would flow from you that would in any way merit his favor apart from his act of grace. So there are misunderstandings regarding this attribute. This is a beatitude that has been used and abused. Blessed are the merciful. That leaves us asking ourselves an important question. What is the true and weighty meaning of this kingdom reality? If this is true of the kingdom citizens, then what does this mean? What are we to understand about this characteristic of merciful? And that brings us to the reality regarding kingdom compassion. So we've seen the myths. Now we move to the reality regarding kingdom compassion. Let me start by defining for you or attempting to define for you mercy. It's important. What's the word mean? What are we talking about? Mercy can be boiled down to pity or compassion on the lowly state, and biblically speaking, the lowly state of the sinner. It is primarily an attribute given to God. He is a merciful God. In other words, he looks with compassion He looks with pity on sinful humanity. He is merciful to people who do not deserve his compassion. Mercy, in the vernacular of our culture, is most associated, you would think, with maybe a courtroom at sentencing. Someone has been found guilty of a crime. They go for sentencing. I think of Marion Jones this week. She admitted to a crime. She was convicted. And yet she went before the judge, and in that hearing, she cried out for mercy. What was she asking for? She was asking for compassion and pity on a human level from a judge, which would then result in a lesser sentence or a lesser, lesser punishment on her for her crime. It was a futile request. He did not have mercy on her. And yet this is a good word picture for us to understand what is described here. It's different than grace. Grace is undeserved kindness poured out on the sinner. So some have described mercy and grace as two sides of the same coin. Mercy is withholding in compassion from the sinner what they deserve. And grace is in turn pouring out on the sinner what they do not deserve. In kindness. Does that make sense? Mercy is compassionate pity that withholds from the deserving sinner what they deserve. And grace, as the attribute of God, is giving to the sinner what they do not deserve. That is his favor and his love. So the quality that we speak of as merciful here in this beatitude is a quality that is first and foremost internal. And I think we've already established that. This is a heart reality no different than the previous realities of the kingdom citizen that we've seen to this point. 
It is an internal heart attitude that results in external fruits. Right? Just like everything else in the Christian life, the heart leads the hands. You say what you say, and you do what you do, because you believe what you believe. Okay? Your heart and your understanding of theology drives your action. And so mercy and the merciful person, the kingdom citizen, is one whose heart has been changed. He is marked by compassion and pity for the, for the life situation of the sinner, which results in action on his part, or on the life situation of the suffering in general. Kingdom compassion flows from the first four Beatitudes. This mercy only comes from someone who has seen themselves as empty, who has mourned their sin and who has received the comfort and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. So understand right off the bat that you will never be kingdom merciful as an attribute of your life unless you have experienced the divine mercy from God himself. You see, how do we differentiate between acts of mercy on the part of someone who has never experienced the mercy of God and acts of mercy on the part of a believer? You may ask this practical question. What's the difference between me or you being at a soup kitchen and in mercy serving people that are in a very difficult situation in their lives and having compassion and pity on them versus the guy right next to us who is there doing the exact same activity of mercy and knows nothing of the mercy of God. What's the difference? How would we know it? Well, in the externals, we would not know it. And yet, as the, the Beatitudes reveal to us, the distinction between the two is that one act of mercy is an attempt on the part of an unbeliever to gain favor or merit for himself. And the act of mercy on the part of the kingdom citizen Christian is simply an expression. It is a fruition. It is an outward expression of what internally has already been accomplished by God. One is working its way to heaven. The other is rejoicing in expressing the fruit of being saved by grace. Blessed are the merciful. Kingdom compassion is the supernatural heart of the kingdom. Okay? It is not a natural personality trait. It is not a list of activities. It is a supernatural heart condition that only God can generate. Kingdom ca- compassion comes only from the one who has known poverty and spirit, mourning and meekness and desperation for righteousness. This is a package deal. You take one beatitude, you take them all, and you take them in sequence. Now, application. How do we know if we're merciful? Let me ask you a couple questions just to put this in our own minds. Put this right in our kitchen, so to speak. Drop it in your lap. What's your attitude? How do you respond towards sinful people and the suffering that their sin brings upon them? How do you respond? What's the attitude? What's your mindset? What are the words that come out of your mouth? If you have seen suffering and sinfulness and destitution 
What has been your response? I thought very practically for myself. What is my response to the legitimate beggar who comes to me when I'm dressed up nice downtown Pittsburgh with my wife going to an opera or the symphony or some nice event and asks me for money? Obviously, a very old man, destitute. His sin has very real consequences. His brain is fried. He's obviously lived under the influence of another substance, and he comes to me smelly, filthy, dirty. What is my response to that situation? Is my heart response one of compassion, one of pity, or is it one of self-righteous pride and defiance? In Luke chapter 18, we find this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9. You put yourself in which category, which attitude? Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's the opposite of merciful. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What's your attitude? What's your perspective? Is your perspective one who has seen their spiritual bankruptcy, who has known the weight of their sin, and who in turn has understood the great mercy that is theirs in Christ? so that it is unbelievable that we would live in any kind of pride and self-righteousness to think of ourselves as better than a sinful humanity, but rather one who has compassion and pity that leads to action on the behalf of sinful people. The flip side of this merciful attitude is also true. This beatitude has its parallel or its contrast in James James chapter 2, the brother of our Lord Jesus, makes this daunting statement. Verse 13 of chapter 2, at the end of his whole call for an end to favoritism and partiality in the church, he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me, let me read that again, the first section particularly. For judgment... That is, God's judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Only the merciful will receive mercy. And those who have never known what it is to have genuine, transformed mercy, supernatural, kingdom citizen mercy as a heart characteristic will not receive mercy at the judgment. It's powerful powerful words, just like the the rest of these Beatitudes. If this isn't true, folks, then hell is the future. 
If this work has not been done, if this is not the heart condition, then you have the right question if you're asking yourself, am I a kingdom citizen? Or will I say, Lord, Lord, I went to Grace Church. We studied your word. I loved expository teaching. Whatever the case, Lord, Lord, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. So we've looked at the myths. We've looked at the realities of what it is to be merciful. And then finally there's the promise, the promise for this kingdom compassion. And this is such a blessing, such an amazing promise from our Lord Jesus here on the side of the mountain. What is the promise for those who have been transformed and have merciful hearts? The promise is that they will receive mercy. It's a future tense again. It's not a present activity. He's looking forward. Though the merciful and though the kingdom citizen has already received mercy, right? God has already pitied you and pitied me in our dead trespasses and sins. He's already pitied us. He has already showered us with mercy. He is merciful today because we are still sinful. We offend him. We grieve him. We ignore him. And he is merciful. He does not respond to us as we deserve, but looks to Christ and is merciful towards us. And yet this promise is the future promise of mercy at the day of judgment. Those who have known themselves truly and have tested the mercy, tasted of the mercy of God are promised a future outpouring of mercy. There is a day coming, folks, when we will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We will be judged. And when we stand before him, if in fact he has transformed us and these are the characteristics that he has borne in us, poverty in spirit, mourning for sin, meekness towards him and towards others, a desperation for righteousness, and a mercy that flows from the heart, then we will receive mercy in that day. Our sin will be set aside because of the righteousness of our substitute, Jesus Christ. The merciful person, not unlike all of the other Beatitudes, the merciful person is the only person who will experience both the past and the ongoing and the future mercy of God. There's no other way to mercy other than by being transformed by His mercy and living out in your life this expression of a new heart. Only the merciful can anticipate more of the same in the future day of judgment. You get the weight of this, folks? This is not a condition for salvation, but this is a statement of fact. There are no Christians who have not been transformed to merciful people. And without mercy, without compassion, there will be no mercy granted at the judgment. You can connect those dots. And those are exactly the dots that the Lord intended for you to connect when he spoke this beatitude. You want to know what my kingdom's all about? My kingdom is not all about a political system that will overthrow the Roman government. My kingdom is not all about my earthly dominance 
my kingdom is about your heart. And those who are truly a part of my kingdom will be marked out as those who are merciful. And what will be the greatest characteristic of these people? That very first word, they will be blessed. These are the people who will know joy internally and eternally. Happy, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive divine mercy at the judgment seat. Is your heart attitude, in conclusion, one of merciful pity and compassion towards others? Is that a mark? Is that a work of grace in your life? How do you respond towards those who have wronged you or towards those who have wronged others? This is not a write-off for justice. It's not that mercy and justice don't live together. There's a song that maybe some of you know. It's called Mercy Came Running, like a prisoner set free. It's a very catchy song. It's enjoyable. But it talks about mercy at the cross coming and taking over justice. Don't misunderstand this. The mercy that is explained here is not overlooking the need for justice. It is just that in the demand for justice, there is compassion and pity for the sinner. What is your response? What is your heart attitude? Are you marked by a self-righteous contempt for others? Are you the Pharisee looking down at the tax collector who won't lift his eyes up because of his awareness of his sin. If that's you, then you will never experience the merciful heart that is described in this beatitude. And the end of that will be that you will never experience the mercy of God at the judgment. Probing words, are they not? They've all been probing. This one in particular seems to strike me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. These are the words of the Messiah King about his kingdom. Let's not argue with them. Let's sit in submission to them. If you find yourself this morning, you're here with us, you're examining your life, you're laying your life before these beatitudes, and you are finding you are falling short in every category, your heart is resistant because you think there is some good within you. There's something in the account Sin is not that serious. You are promoting yourself. You are all about you. You are a display of human power, not meekness. And your hunger and thirst is for anything but righteousness. It's for your own pleasure and for your own advancement. And you are marked by contempt for those who are pitiful. Then you have need to ask, Have I ever by faith, been saved from God's wrath. Those are not true of you. You have no reason to have confidence that you will receive mercy. Rather, you have need to read Matthew 7 and find yourself associated with the kingdom, hanging out with the kingdom, kissing cousins with the kingdom, but not a genuine member of Christ's kingdom.